It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday april 20th and you're listening to episode 412 today i am joined by special guest host mark mcgee of the game designers of north carolina podcast and also uh designer of kintsugi uh with button shy games hey mark how's it going hey hey it's going all right so game designers in North Carolina, I promised I would not hold that against you. Um, <laughs> I know lots of you all, and most of you all are very nice, uh, so that's good. Uh, one, we actually have a co-host on our show, a legitimate co-host on our show, who's here with us every few weeks is Julio uh, Nasario, who is a uh, who is a new member of the game designers in North Carolina. He's not. Uh, he's. I mean, he's new relative to you know the age of the universe, I guess. But he's he's been around for a while. <laughs> relative to the age of the universe, that's a good comparison. Aren't we all new compared to that? <laughs> Most of us are, I believe. Yeah. I remember one time, like, in, I was younger, and they were like, "The universe is like." 12.5 billion years old or something like that or like I I can't remember the exact number it's real old though right um and uh hearing that oh it was the age of the earth which is like 4.5 billion mm. years or something like that and when I was younger I heard it and then I remember hearing it several years later when I was still younger and um in thinking it's really still only been that long like it was kind of like I've really like <laughs> changed that much and you know in that short time like well it's been five years so now it's actually Four yeah, billion, I mean, 4. I can, five billion and five. I can confirm firsthand that it's at least 30-something years old, both the universe and the Earth. <laughs> I, I have seen that. Well, I've, um, I've been here for 40, so I've got that covered. Um, it could be a hologram. It could be a hologram. That's possible. Uh, we may be living in the Matrix. I don't know. Yeah. So we're getting philosophical here re- real quick. Real quick. That's, uh, that's how everything seems to go. If you... Uh, if you think about it enough, everything is basically philosophical at its core, isn't it? It's true. It's true. <laughs> well, hey, Mark, we're really happy to have you here. I say we're like, you know, the royal we because it's just me. But uh, but I'm happy that you're here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we did. Um, you, you mentioned uh, philosophical because in um, in college, I I was taking I mostly so my actual degree was in computer science, but I did take enough philosophy courses that in order to get a double major, all I needed was like 16 more general education hours. So I had enough philosophy to actually major in philosophy, but I would rather have majored in computer science. So um, that's probably where, uh, you know, where it comes from. You know, I guess it's just a thing I've always done talking about thinking about stuff kind of abstractly and, uh, and boiling it down to the ethereal core. Yeah. I uh I took one philosophy class and really really was excited to take it and then really hated the class because the teacher <laughs> was like the worst possible person to teach philosophy. Um mm. yeah, like he was just bad. And uh, I was really sad because I was like, oh, you know, I took a humanities class, which I know was not philosophy, mm-hmm. but like that was way more philosophical than the philosophy class that I took was. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. There's some people who are like super hardcore about philosophy. I had a professor one time who was like, look, if you're in here for an easy class, you should just drop it right now because this, we're going to do more work than you've done in any of your other courses. And he was like, like he would drill stuff into people's heads, like figuratively, um, you know, the way that people mean when they say drilling stuff into your mind. Right. Right. Uh, Well, there's only one safe way to do that. So unless you're a uh, brain surgeon and then. Well, still, they're not drilling it into your mind, though. Just, just your head. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and so like that. That was not fun. I did end up dropping that course, but a lot of the other uh, <laughs> courses they <laughs> they were fun. And I think, uh, I mean, the fun part of it is is the part that's good. I mean, as as in many things, the the fun of it makes it so that you can learn it, and it makes it so that you can enjoy it, and it's worth doing. Right. I, I say to anyone who wants to get a like. Just a glancing understanding of philosophy better than your average person. Just watch the whole series of The Good Place, um, and you will <laughs> learn way more about philosophy from that. I mean, maybe it's wrong, but I feel like it's probably not. Like, I feel like they actually having a few friends who've been like, "Oh, like, oh, you want to know about solipsism? Chidi's going to talk about that at some point. It's going to be great." Um, you know, and so uh, yeah, I, I learned way more about philosophy than I ever thought I wanted to, and I enjoyed it. <laughs> so. All right. Well, yeah. um, so what have you, uh, what have you, I know you said you, uh, beforehand, you all are under a stay at home order as well there in North Carolina. Is that correct? Oh yeah. You know, I'm not sure if it's in every single County, but I'm in, uh, I'm in Wake County, which is the big one in the middle and we are all staying at home. I've been, uh, I've been staying at home for, I guess it's been uh, two months at this point. Um, there was, a, <laughs> I was at one point, in a uh, before before work shifted to uh, work from home, I was actually in a meeting with someone who had the actual coronavirus, and as such, uh, I got my name was uh, reported to the Department of Health, and I was uh, literally like the like actual strict quarantine at home. They would call me every day to ask what my temperature was and things like that. I I didn't Whoa. end up actually having the the virus, but. Yeah, just because I was in a room with somebody who later was uh, was uh, tested positive. Yeah, I was uh, I was monitored by the Department of Health for two weeks. Wow. Well, I'm thankful that you didn't get it. That's cool. Uh, that's that's real good. Um. Wow. Yeah. That is crazy. And I had to uh, I had to get a new thermometer. I take my temperature so rarely as as probably <laughs> the case for most people. That I was like, how do I even know what my temperature is? You know, I tried just, uh, you know, touching my forehead with the back of my hand and, and ballparking it. But um, that wasn't good enough for the Department of Health. <laughs> That's not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, we've went through a lot of thermometers here. I have two two small children, a smallish now. But uh, uh, we've went through a lot of thermometers. And I finally just like went to the doctor the one time and said, what are you using? What, what, what brand? Show me the exact. And I just literally went and bought the same thing because so many of the kids thermometers are just junk. And for like 40 bucks, I got like a real, real nice one that we've been using now for years and it's been amazing. So, uh, and it works for adults as well. So that's nice. Uh, but, um, yeah, thermometers, Tell your friends. I read the uh, instruction manual for this thermometer just because I was like, everyone knows how to use a thermometer. So I wonder what the instructions <laughs> are like. So it turns out, and uh, this is this is an interesting factoid because for for um, 
generally there are three general ways that people can get their temperature taken. One is orally, one is rectally, and one is under your arm. Turns out that um, uh, depending on how you take it, it can easily be plus or minus two degrees. Yep, yep. Um, so just keep that in mind. If you take it under your arm and it's a little bit low, well, that's expected. Right, yeah. We uh, we switched to the one the doctor's office uses, which is an inner ear one. And um, uh, that works pretty well. They say that, that it could be as low as one degree low. Um, yeah, so... So that doesn't that's not scary until your kid has like 104 fever and then you're like, oh, gosh, if this is one degree low, that's not great. Yeah. But if they have less than 100, then you can send them to school the next day. So maybe that is a trick. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Yes. I didn't think about that. But good point. No, I checked it uh, uh, behind their kneecap and it was. uh, Yeah, no, it was it was it was 95. They're good. Hmm. They're good. (laughs) <laughs> Hold this in your hand, son. <laughs> so, have you uh so being locked up and everything, have you um played many games of late? So, I have a wife who lives in the house with me and we play two-player games with with moderate frequency. Awesome. Um so so we've actually yeah, we've uh tried to stay in the habit of of playing games. It's weird like Having so, I usually before uh, before the stay at home stuff, I would go into the office like a lot of people do, and you know I would have this routine. But having uh, you know work from home, and also the kids are all at home and not at school, all of the routines get really blurred. So some of the stuff like playing games in the evening is actually more effort now because it's it is it's not part of routine. Um, but yeah, but outside of that, I like agree. I, I'm. Uh, terrible at uh, playing games online. I um, I'm not really a fan of like a lot of the digital implementations, and a lot of that is just stuff that I like and don't like. Um, so like a couple of times I've tried on like board game arena, but you know the fun part of that is just being in chat with people that I like chatting with. Um, many of the games uh, they just play so much differently online that it's harder for me to get into them. That so, is yeah, totally I, fair, yeah. I keep it uh, keep it at home, but uh, with the kids at home, there's often more times, like every weekend. So it used to be, you know, we would have Saturdays where we had something that was scheduled, something we were going to go do outside the house, but we don't have any of that anymore. Um, so every Saturday is what we call a family day. It used to be family day was, this is a Saturday we have scheduled to have nothing scheduled, and we would stay at the house and play games with the kids and, you know, maybe watch a movie or something like that. But now that every Saturday right. is family day, uh, I've played a lot more games with the kids, which is interesting. And I think uh, I think they've actually gotten better at them from doing them more. Um, yeah, I've, that I've, makes I have a sense. seven-year-old and uh, a four-year-old who's going to turn five in like three days. So seven and five, basically. And a, I mean, and a three-year-old, but... He doesn't play games really, um, but yeah. But they, it's it's interesting uh, just watching how quickly they can improve playing games. That you know they sometimes they're like, oh yeah, let's play a game I've never heard of before, and we'll play it, and then like they'll understand how to play it better than I would have expected. Right, right. Yeah, we've been playing lots of games with the kids. Um, 
my wife and I, same challenge you're talking about, have just at the at night we just don't have the energy to like sit down and play a board game. It's like let's just watch TV or play a video game or something that's easier, you know. Um, so yeah. I I get it. Yeah, it's it's been it really throws you for a loop um, when you're just stuck home all day. Like you literally can't leave. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so um. So today you uh you brought us a topic to talk about, um, and I'm not sure exactly uh what the topic looks like. You kind of gave me a an overview, uh very very little overview on on the Twitter. Uh, so you want to tell everybody what what we're going to talk about today? Yeah. So I was thinking that it would be interesting to have a conversation about um what what is the uh what is the potential of games what uh if like ideal perfect theoretical games like if there is a perfect game what what is its ultimate potential what can games aspire to do and aspire to be are we as you know a collective group of people humans that design games are we close to reaching the maximum potential of what games are capable of doing or are we uh nowhere close so yeah just the what can games do and uh how well are we as humans doing with games, what games can do? And yeah, I mean, that's sort of philosophical. It's well, sort of, <laughs> it, is, um, <laughs> it is very philosophical. Um, I think part of the reason it's interesting to me is like, if you think about, so with some of the extra time I've been having being at home all the time, um, I actually had a long weekend too, like a four day weekend where I didn't, uh, I didn't, do work on Friday or Monday. Um, so I did work around the house. So I straightened up some stuff and organized some stuff and cleaned out my bookshelf and, and made sure there was space. So as I was cleaning out my bookshelf and, you know, uh, uh, just organizing stuff to, to make more space so that we could move some other things around. But so I was, I was, uh, reorganizing books that I have and I like books. I, I enjoy reading books. And as I was doing that, I was, uh, kind of reminiscing as I was flipping through some of these books. Oh, this is one of the books that I read that like had a profound impact on, you know, the way I viewed things, the way I understood. Like when I read it, I was surprised that a book could do that. It um it it was just head and shoulders better than any of the other books I had read up to then. And so yeah, as I was doing that, I have like I think there's four books that I set in like a special place as these are the books that represent the best books I've ever read. And there's lots of other good books, and those are fine. But but taking it to that next level, um, especially while reading it, being like, I never knew that a book could do this to me, sort of thing. You know, that right. that's the type of experience that, um, you know, writing stories has existed as long as humans have existed. Well, stories have existed. Telling stories. At some point. <laughs> yeah, at some point they were written, but yeah, so that's an ancient uh, form of media, um, and over the course of time, it's changed and gotten better. And there are some written stories that are just unbelievably impactful. Um, and so it made me think about you know games. How can how can you make a game that that has that sort of impact? Like you play it. Um, and you're like, wow, I did not think that I would have this reaction to a game 
it, uh, yeah, things like that. Um, and it got me thinking about it. And, you know, I was rolling around some ideas in my head. And I don't, I don't know all the answers. I only know like 80% of the answers. Um, <laughs> well, that's better. I would say I, I have probably 12% of the answers. So 80 is pretty good. You know, I think that, um, I think, you know, your first thing, a statement about where are we with board games? Like, have we come close to the potential? I, mean, I don't think we're, I honestly don't think we've even scratched the surface, right? Um, that's my personal opinion. I just thinking about the fact that like there's no reason why board games couldn't be used to completely change someone's perspective, to completely mm-hmm. envelop someone and change their point of view and and help them grow. Board games should be able to do all those things, right? Because experiences can do all those things. Books can do those things. You know, a board game is an interactive experience. It should be able to do that as well. I mean, Am I right? Am I wrong? Yeah. So I think I think that echoes a lot with kind of where where I come from. So I um after I finished uh this is a little bit of a personal history lesson uh from my history and it'll 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 come around in a second. But after I graduated from uh from uh, my undergraduate degree, I did go to graduate school where I studied interactive entertainment, which is basically video game development, and that's where I got a master's degree. But in in a master's program, it's not, I mean, you can have a master's program about anything, but the difference between a master's program and an undergrad program is just that the level of uh, study you do on the why, like a lot of skills you can learn how to do it, like on the job, um, but understanding like the theory behind why does it work this way, why why does this happen Um, that's where a lot more time is spent, especially at at the higher levels of education. And so from there is where I really got in deep in like thinking about, you know, why does interactive media work this way? And what, you know, what is, what is useful about it? Um, And from there I got into, uh, you know, studying about just the, the, the practice of play. So like as a, as a brief aside, like, all animals play like play is just a basic fact of life for basically every living creature. Um, so it must have some value. And so there's, there's play researchers, people who dedicate their entire lives to understanding what Mm -hmm. play is good for, how it works, you know, why everybody does it. Um, and then in many of them also, also try to like figure out how to apply some of those same benefits to humans. And so games, I mean, no matter how you want to define games, games all have something to do with with play. I mean, even if like serious play, maybe that's a thing, depending on how you think. Um, but I think that you can't really separate games and play. And if play really is as important in all of life as uh, many people seem to think it is, like then, um, then games must have some sort of role or be able to be as important as like maybe even more important than like the medium of storytelling because um, not all animals tell stories. I mean, all human cultures, I guess do, but um, not just humans, but every animal plays. So maybe plays even more important than storytelling. So there's gotta be something about games that can uh, as a medium reach some more ultimate heights of impactfulness than, than even something as profound as storytelling. 
I mean, logically, right? That seems to make sense. Like I, I'd buy that. If you, if I just read that in a book, I would be like, yeah, I agree with that. This person's smart. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should uh, get smart so I can write a book, and then then I'll sound like <laughs> I know what to, I'm talking about. You don't have to be smart to write a book. If you just write a book and say you know what you're talking about, at least some people will believe you. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I think that's true. But yeah, so that that's where a lot of my perspective comes from. And yeah, obviously it's a perf- perspective because I don't I don't know everything about everything. Um, like I said, only eighty percent of everything. But um, <laughs> But that's where I come from when I think about when I think about games and when I think about why I enjoy designing games. It's not it's not for any trivial reasons. I legitimately think that through the medium of games you can do stuff that is like incredibly impactful to humans. And of course, impacting humans is how you impact, you know, change in the world. So that that's kind of where I come from. It sounds it sounds like I'm getting all like high and lofty, but in real life, if I were to think about what uh, what legacy I want to leave, I think that having an impact on humans that change things for the better is what I want to do, and I think right. that I think that games is a way that can do that. But I think that we know so little about how to structure those. Like we as humanity know so little about how to utilize the strengths and the abilities of games to to really get as much impact as we can no i'm totally on board with that i you know my kind of my personal why for what i do in life is is simply that i just want to create positive change in the world around me and however that looks right and uh in in my mind one of those things is putting out games and giving people enjoyable experiences and hopefully sometimes thought-provoking experiences um, you know, and I think sometimes I've, I've certainly worked in game design trying to do both those things. Sometimes I just want people mm-hmm. to have a good time, but I've worked on other games, uh, where it's, you know, it's trying to teach a lesson, right. Or trying to like I, a big thing is, like I said, trying to show perspective to others. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. One of the things you said though, about play that really, really got me was, you know, I, I've watched so many nature documentaries, right. Where you've got like you know, the baby wolves are playing together, right? And, and the tigers are like, and they're doing that because they're like, they're like when, when tigers are like jumping around with each other and doing stuff, um, like playing, I mean, they're basically practicing like what it's like to murder something, right? I mean, like, it's like, that's right. what they're doing, right? <laughs> and they're not just playing for fun. They're like, oh, here's how you go for the throat. Um, and that's, that's sort the of best thing. place to practice murder. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, it is shunned to practice it in other places. Uh, I will say that for sure. And I agree with the shunning of that. Uh, but in any event, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, uh, learning through play is, is natural, right? I mean, it's, it's instinctual, right? I mean, that's, that makes sense. Um, why couldn't we do that too? In fact, I, I don't know. I almost wonder like, humans, I think, get in their own way of that, right? Like there's doubt when somebody says, I've got this game that's going to teach you how to, to uh-huh. think differently, right? And you're like, it's a, but it's a game. Like and so many people I know with the work I do, well, it's a game. Games are for kids, right? Or games are cheesy, right? It's like, no, games can be a really fun like experience, right? Um, mm. And not everyone gets that, right? As mainstream of games are becoming they're still not there yet to where they need to like the full, like, you know, like penetration into society where they, you know, they become just ubiquitous and people realize what they're capable of. 
Yeah, and I think that might be some of it too. Is because yeah, the the uh, um, the penetration into society that games have right now is through like the hardest of the hardcore gamer geek people, and those those people. I say those people as if I'm not one of them. So us, <laughs> us people, <laughs> us people <laughs> uh, tend to appreciate different things in games, and so I think because because that's where the uh, where the society is as far as uh, adoption of games, it also means that's where the industry is, which I think is a limiting factor as to what types of games can exist because not every game currently has a market. Like if, like in a world where everybody thinks that playing games is just a thing that some people do and that's fine, then basically any game could have a market. Um, I, I kind of, I mean, I kind of mean that. I guess not literally, but yeah. But uh, like, for instance, drawing another corollary to books, everybody either reads books or is like, oh yeah, you read books. That's the thing that people do. That's fine. Um, and so any book that you write, there is an audience of people who like it. Yeah, some are audiences are much bigger than others. But um, but in games, there are some types of games that there's like a maybe like literally non-existent market for that in a in a world where everyone is okay with games there would be a market for i think though one of the barriers to that is is judgment right when you were saying like you know everybody's like well there's you know people read books it's what people do right and in oh i don't read books but but mark you do so that's normal because lots of people read books but when you say well jason i read books i'm also a huge fan of graphic novels and comics and then I'm yeah. like, well, those aren't books, right? Those aren't. I want to be clear. I, I'm not saying that as me. I'm saying that as some snooty jerk. Um, but that judgment, just like when somebody says, "Oh, I play games," like, "Oh, games are for kids," right? Or you know, um, yeah. or "Oh, party games." Yeah, yeah, Cards Against Humanity, right? Oh, yeah, 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 I get that. And it's like, no, no, I play like real games. Like, not okay. That sounded bad. I'm not saying Cards Against Humanity yeah. is not a real game. <laughs> what I'm saying is, like, I play like. <laughs> Non-party games. Hey, everybody who listens to this podcast knows I'm a big fan of designing party games. I'm not a big fan of Cards Against Humanity, but that's personal preference. Um, so, uh, but anyways, like, so the idea, but but we do that within the games community, right? When yeah, like, I mean, same as we, even we, like movies, right? Like yes, yes. I say I like movies, and you're like, oh, what movies? You're like, well, oh yeah, I was watching this anime, and you're like, oh. Okay, that kind of movie. Oh, you mean cartoons for kids? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, cool, Mark. Grow up. Yeah, and I think that I I think that uh, board games do fall in a similar sort of thing as like yeah, anime or you know comics. You know, they're for they're for a certain subset of the population. They're not widely accepted, and some of that some of that is likely because of uh, some of the games that have become popular, kind of uh, live and thrive off of their inner geek culture thing and because because those games can be popular they kind of uh keep games within that certain subculture because they're so they're so ingrained in what gamers think good games are about that when they become popular then it just furthers the stereotype oh yeah games are about this um but well yeah within the game community i mean I'm sure you can think of several types of games and I could as well that you're like, Oh, that's not a game I'd want to play. That's not a type of game I want to play. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Uh, the question is, can we look at that and say, oh, but somebody else does. Good for them, right? And not be like, yeah. oh, you know, these lighthearted party games are just, you know, they're for they're for non-gamers, right? They're not for serious gamers. Um, yeah, so... That is that is a hurdle, um, you know. Is that prejudice within within even within the community, right? Or, or, or you know, one of the things we're talking about is a game that can that can have a, an experience that is life changing, right? The second yeah. somebody builds that as an educational game, right? Well, that's not a real game. That's a, that's an educational game. You know, it's not it's not an actual game. Um, so, ugh, it's just yeah. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of different things with that. Um, yeah, and like educational games, they they fit into a weird spot. So like, uh, I'm gonna start there, and I'm gonna come back to it. So I've heard many people who say that yeah, the the purpose of games is to create an entertaining diversion so that someone can forget about real life for a while because fun diversions are better than real life because real life sucks. And um, <laughs> sometimes, and I, <laughs> yeah, and I do believe the games can do that. I personally feel like if that is the ultimate pinnacle of what games can do is be a distraction from real life uh, to pass away some time without you know living in this sucky reality, if that's the best the games can do, then I think the games as a medium is kind of limited and I agree. not very interesting. I feel like games can do so much more than that. Right. But the um, but at the same time, this loops back into the educational games. There has to be some sort of uh, entertaining aspect about it. It's like no one, no matter how profound and life-changing your game is, if it's so boring that nobody can get through it, no one will play it and no one's life will be changed. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So it, it has to have some element of entertainment or at least... At least engagement. I was it just going to draw say somebody in. engagement. It has to have some sort of engagement. Yeah. So there, there are definitely like real life principles of design that uh, that are around engagement and how to make games that are engaging. And then from there, there's a bunch of other types of things you can do to to maybe create different feelings and different uh, environments and different experiences. Um, that that goes on top of that, but if you don't have that engaging part, then no matter how well you do everything else, you know, if if you're the best painter that's ever existed, and all you ever do is paint in your own garage, and then you know at the end of the day you burn all your paintings down, um, then that's I mean you can do whatever you want, right. but you can't change the world that way. And you can't impact other people. And so, I mean, you're allowed to not want to change the world. That's also a thing that you can do. But if if you believe that your medium has the ability to change people and, you know, make things better, then I feel like it's worthwhile to pursue uh, efforts to try to do that. And, you I know, agree. painting by yourself, painting perfect paintings by yourself and then burning them down is not gonna um, it's not gonna be the way to do it. So it's gotta be yeah, it's gotta be something that other people can interact with, other people can engage from and other people can enjoy so that whatever else you do with the game is also there. But I, I feel like that creating an interesting diversion away from the awfulness of real life is not the pinnacle. I believe it is the bare minimum of what games can do. 
No, and, I mean, uh, that's... That, if you yeah. think about it, that's what movies were created to do to begin with, right? Um, it was just this thing that was going to distract people and be fun, right? It was a new visual medium to see things in. But what did it become? I mean, yes, it's still that. But it also teaches us a lot of things about the world around us. It can educate us. It can change our views uh, and our perspectives on things, right? I mean, so that was designed just for that. I mean, I guess that theoretically games many, many millennia ago were designed for the same reason, right? To pass time Mm -hmm. and to have fun. But yeah, that doesn't mean they can't evolve into something bigger and, and more important than that. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's a good corollary too. Cause yeah. And, and so many movies, even, I mean, even today, summer blockbuster, well, not today, this, this summer is kind of weird, <laughs> but <laughs> right. no blockbusters summer, this summer, <laughs> summer blockbusters, I think are basically created to be fun diversions and, you know, having movies and having games that are created with that purpose in mind is still, it can be lots of fun. I mean, I read books that are nothing more than a lot of fun. And that's fine, mm-hmm. and I think it's good. Um, but those are not when I, you know, look at my shelf where I put, you know, the the four books that they gave me, you know, these different impressions about what stories could do. None of those fun books landed there. These are books that are engaging and also like perspective altering. Right. Can I, I? So you've mentioned the four books twice. Do you want to tell us what the four books are? Or do you oh. want to keep that to yourself? Um, I can tell you some of that i'll tell you one now and i'll tell you a couple now uh i have to actually look up the specific spelling of one of these authors names so i can make sure to pronounce it right uh-huh. so i'll do that i'll do that one a little bit later but <clears throat> so one of them actually the the one that i read earliest in my life that is on that shelf is the once and future king by uh th white and that that's a that's a retelling of the of the legend of king arthur um, but it, it is, uh, it contains so much stuff and so many, uh, what I believe are worthwhile perspectives on, you know, leadership and, and, you know, how, uh, ancient kingdoms were silly, um, <laughs> as compared to the kingdoms we have now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so much like it, it, that's one of the things too, is that so much of what was ridiculous about the way things used to be run is still ridiculous about the way things are run. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and so yeah, it has a lot of these like timeless, uh, ideas about, about rulership and, uh, and you know, all these other things that people do because they think they're worthwhile that are, that are a waste of time. And, <laughs> and a lot of what it says fits well within the story, but also, fits well within real life today. <clears throat> and so, yeah, mixing, like blending basically, yeah, this is a story and I know that it's a fiction, but I mean, this is also talking about my real life today too. And that's just, that's just interesting. Right, right. Um, so that's one of them. Um, another one that I'll mention is um, Watership Down, which is a story about some rabbits. That the just, rabbits, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just want to go out and like live their lives. That's really what the whole story is about. Some rabbits... Who get scared and want to go out and live their lives, and then they um, can't. Yeah, yeah, and that one, uh, that one had, I guess, as far as like story beats, I think that that one most closely aligns with like what traditional story structures go on, like that hero's journey. It has a lot of that stuff, but but the way that it built a world and built these characters that were uh, so interesting that you you got attached and you are you i mean i 
I was reading it and I was like, this, like all of these characters I'm attached to, this entire space. I mean, it's just some rabbits who live on a hill. And they, right, I mean, right. I think the entire story takes place over less than a five mile radius. Um, but how invested I would get in all these characters. Like, so that, that whole like emotional attachment to made up things that I didn't even make them up. Mm-hmm. Somebody else made them up. Uh, that was something that was like, wow, how how can a book create such attachment to some, uh, you know, made up rabbits? You know, that doesn't even make any sense. And that like that's the thing that changed my perspective on, on um, I guess books in general. And so I did like a lot right. of people read that when they're younger. Uh, I didn't read it till I was like, I don't know, twenty six or something. Um, I'm looking up. Um, Okay, so another one. I'll go ahead and, and knock out these last two, so we can uh, so we can all know what books I was impacted by. Yes, the next yes. one was actually the one that I most recently read of these four. It's called "The Last Legends of Earth." It's a science fiction book by A. A. Atanasio. Um, it was written in uh, it says 1989, so it's uh, I actually thought it was more recent than that. Um, but that's not that long ago. So that's that's just a a very epic time and space spanning science fiction story that's also like uh kind of a adventure story, kind of a love story, kind of a bunch of stuff. But but uh what I will uh never get away from in that one is the the scope and intricacies with which all these completely different things uh exist and interact like there are different beings that live life at different speeds basically existing in the same universe and like some some people like they sleep for you know 500 years at a time and then wake back up you know and then there are other oh characters gosh, who yeah. who are humans you know and and they all exist in the same in the same story and they have like interactions with each other in ways that are meaningful. Like, and so all these completely different things that don't make any sense together, they actually came together in a way that made a lot of sense. And, uh, and so, yeah, just the, the sheer scope of all that and the way that you can fit that scope just inside one, you know, regular length book. It's not like it's a 6,000 page, you know, (laughs) right, right, right. 40 book epic. And yeah, the, the, the scope of all that, uh, it was just mind blowing, and I was like, "How how can someone create that? Uh, you know, how how does that exist?" It was something that I could right, barely right. believe. Um, so the last one is a graphic novel. So this is where you can judge me. Uh, <laughs> no judgments from me. <laughs> no, it's um, it's called Day Tripper, and the premise is going to sound like a spoiler, but this is the premise. You figure this out at the beginning is each different chapter is kind of a different scene in this guy's life. And at the end of each scene, he dies. So each chapter is a different, so it it kind of plays a little bit of like, what if this is this part in your life when you die? And so one time, you know, he's an adult or whatever. And another time he dies when he's a kid and there's like some freak accident or whatever. And so each chapter is basically a, what if this was your last scene in life? And, um, and that, I mean, that question, you can probably imagine how that question could kind of be explored in an interesting right, way. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I think that it is. And so it, it like that's kind of the premise and the promise, and it follows through with that. And that's I I feel like that one is the easiest one to explain how it is uh, uh could be regarded as one of the most perspective altering books. Right. Fantastic. That's awesome. So okay, so now everybody knows four books to go out and check out. Um <laughs> To change to change your perspective and your life, uh, Mark promises these will completely change your life. Yeah, I would I would actually <laughs> recommend those to almost anybody. I think the Once in Future King is the one that is not a universal recommendation because uh, it, it's the most difficult of them all to read, and not everybody's uh, going to be into something that has the potential to turn into slog if you right, if right. you don't like that certain type of stuff. So, I mean, I would read it again. I will read it again. Um, and I mean, not today, but I will, <laughs> right, right. But, <laughs> um, but the other ones, anybody who would enjoy them, if it sounds like you would enjoy them, I would bet that you would enjoy them. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to make sure we cover about this topic before I have you pitch a game here? Cause time has yeah, so actually like, went pretty quick. It, it has. Yeah. So like what I, what I think about, uh, especially as I was organizing my shelf was like, as soon as I put those four books together on my shelf in like a special space so that they could get the recognition that, uh, that these were the ones that, that had a bigger impact on me than the other books, right beside my bookshelf is my game shelf. So I was like, oh, let me just look at these games. And I looked at those and I was like, are there any games that I have, that I've played, that I would hold in the same regard as these books, because there's, there's, I own more than four books. I own a lot more than four books, and I've read and enjoyed and kept a lot of books, and I have reread a lot of books that are not those. And but yeah, but these kind of set themselves apart. So then I was looking at the games. You know, I like all the games that I have. If I didn't like them, I wouldn't have them. Um, but yeah, thinking about them, have I had an experience playing any of these games that has impacted me in such a way that? I would make this special section of my shelf for the games that change the way I think about things. And I couldn't think of one. Even when I was looking at all the games that I've enjoyed, I couldn't think of one that had that impact. So I was like, that that feels too bad. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't, I don't think I could think of one either. Now, listening to you talk, I was like, gosh, what, you know, but I... I can't think of a single game that I've played where I've thought, wow, after this, things are different. Like this really had an impact on me. Um, I mean, I could, you know, obviously I've, I've played many games where I've been like, I, I want to play this game again. This is really fun, right? Or this is a really cool feeling I get from playing this game, but nothing where I've been like, wow, this is a game changer. No pun intended. Yeah. So, so yeah. some people who know me a little bit better might might challenge me on what I just said because I have said some things in the past that sound a lot like what I'm saying I haven't said before. And so, uh, <laughs> so let me go into just a little <laughs> bit about that. Uh, cause so, um, I, I've played games for a while, but uh, when the first time I, there are, there have been two games that I have played where after I played them, my idea of what is a good game was elevated because they were just categorically basically better than any of the games I'd played before. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you these two games because there's only two of them. One is the first time I played El Grande, which I played it years after it came out. I played it, I don't know, somewhere in the in the 20-teens is when I played it. 
um, for the first time. And when I played it, I was like, that that game is just better than other games that I played. Like, it's not like, <laughs> right, right. oh, it's another one of the funny games. It's like, no, this game is just better. Like, the design of this game just, yeah, it, it's just better. Um, and so, yeah, it, it took the idea of games to a new level. And then later, the first time I played, this is another one that's old that I only played more recently, um, is Modern Art. I played that right, game. Right, yeah. And I, like the simplicity and how much uh, you know, strategic complexity you can get from such a you know simple set of engagements. I was like, wow, this game, this is a game that just raises the bar for what a good game is. Um, and so those those two games, I I I would still describe them as when I played them, it rose the bar, raised the bar, it has risen the bar. <laughs> I was just gonna say it has risen the bar. <laughs> For what I can consider a good game. Because those are good games. And many games that I enjoyed before them, I enjoyed less because they existed in a world where I had played these better games. Um, That's fair. Yeah, that is fair. I, and so those, those are special. But yeah, they. But I'm, I'm not sure that they have ascended to a height where they, they uh, have had a, more of an impact than just saying, oh, games... Games should be better than they are because, look, I've played these games that are better than other games. Games should just be better. Like, that's the impact. But they haven't right, they haven't right. gone above that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's good. And I, I certainly can think of games where, like, they just felt heads and tails better in a different experience. But, yeah, ones that, like, completely changed my perspective. Um, yeah, I don't think I've played anything like that. I hope to. I hope to design something like that someday, you know? That's... Uh, that's the goal, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to be spending more time thinking about it. I mean, every every year that I spend thinking about designing games, I pick up some new tips and tricks. Maybe if I live to be, you know, eight hundred, I will. <laughs> You'll be uh, amazing. <laughs> I will know at least eighty five percent about designing right, games. Right, right, right. The first eighty percent, not so hard. The last twenty yeah. percent, hundreds oh, yeah. of years, That's easy, millennia, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, I'm learning in inches. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, hey, I would love to have you pitch a game before you go. So, right. uh, yeah, let's uh, let's do that. What do you got for us today? All right. Here's this, here's this idea for a game. All right. E, uh, imagine, imagine a world that exists beyond our world. And we, we have access to get there by identifying and finding the correct passageways. And so these passageways, I mean, like maybe they're maybe they're small things. You have to pick up, you know, this this pebble and, you know, this clover and, you know, this uh, this bowl of mush. If you if you get these correct things and assemble them appropriately, then that unlocks that is the key to one of the portals into this other world. And so what uh, what you do in this game is yeah, you uh, you explore your world and try to uh, try to get glimpses of otherworldliness in objects in our world, so that you can identify how to put them together to create keys into this other world. In the other world, uh, you you can explore those to find um, you know that's where the real powerful and potent stuff is, and and from there you know you can gain these um, these 
I don't know, artifacts or uh, or uh, ancient wisdom, wisdom of the ages that will uh, that will propel you to eternal mm-hmm. greatness. <clears throat> and so, so what you're doing in this game is basically trying to gain the wisdom of the ages to be propelled into eternal greatness. I mean, that's that's the gist of it. I mean, that's kind of the gist of life in general. But but in this game, you do so by finding otherworldliness in uh, objects that you find in the world so you can combine them to find these um, to find these portals into the other realm where you can then seek the wisdom of the ages and gain uh, eternal glory so it's thematically the hook of the game um, mm-hmm. that is interesting how, hook. how it how it works mechanically is uh, you put on a blindfolding and grab cubes from a bag you wait. You have to be blindfolded to grab the cubes from the bag. What? Yeah. Um, no. I was just thinking about, about the thing that would that would make it sound as terrible as possible. Okay. Well, you did it. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what? Is this co-design um, with Josh Mills? Yeah. So the way that the way that the co-design works is, yeah, uh, one of us figures out the interesting part of the game, and the other one figures out the uninteresting part of the game, and then we work together enough that we agree which part is uninteresting, and then we just go with the other part. And uh, right, Mills would be very good for that, especially coming up with the uninteresting <laughs> part and then stealing the interesting part from you and claiming credit for it. Yeah. So that's uh, that's how this game is working too. It's it's still, I guess. I guess there's still a little bit of development um, because that interesting part is still there. Um. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. So um, yeah. So basically, this game is portals crossed with blind man's bluff. Is that basically yeah. what? <laughs> nice. It, nice. Nice. Yeah. It's it's basically like that. Yeah. Sounds sounds interesting. The, the, the hook sounds very, very interesting. I and mean, the hook is... <laughs> I like the hook. So, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, you... Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? I know you have a, a signed game that's not published yet. Uh, but I don't know if that's coming to Kickstarter anytime soon. I know everything right now feels up in the air with all that yeah. stuff. There's a there's a ton of stuff that's up in the air. I don't... I... I uh, there's not any plans that are specifically ironed out that... that, uh, that I have the ability to talk about because everything's up in the air, but I do have a game top pop signed with uh, talent strikes. It's a game about uh, the uh, being a soda company trying to get uh, get popularity in different markets uh, and kind of gain popularity in different cities and being you know the top pop company by uh, uh, there's these little bottle caps that you stack up to kind of show your influence and your engagement in di- the different cities. This is also actually legitimately a co-design with Josh Mills. <laughs> but Josh Mills is listening to this right now. I want to say, Josh, Josh Top Pop, that almost sounds like you could have called it Soda Kings. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So think about that, yeah, Josh we were, Mills. We were brainstorming <laughs> some um, some names for it. Yeah, like Soda Soda War, Soda Kings, Cola Masters, Cola Noscopy, things like that. And... Uh, <laughs> And we, but no, top, top pop. Uh, I mean, I was, I, at one top point, pop's I was a about, fantastic know, name. Soda pop bottle top sounds like a, it sounds like you're saying the same word multiple times, but actually you're not. So, like, that's the thing. And then we, but yeah, top pop is definitely better than all the yeah. other things. Yes, I said. yes, yes. So, but um, yeah, uh, but it's gone through enough, even, even though, um, 
we were joking about uh, the co-designs starting with a good thing and some bad stuff and then figuring out how to get rid of the bad stuff. This has gone through enough of the development that it, the bad stuff is gone. This game is legitimately, I, and I feel like I'm allowed to be impressed with it because it's not entirely <laughs> my idea. Yeah, but the like, other part I, is Josh's, so no, you're not allowed to be impressed with it. You should feel it was, shame. <laughs> yeah, if it was all my idea and I was like, oh yeah, this game is great, then it would just feel kind of pretentious. So I feel a little bit like I'm allowed to appreciate it because because a lot of it was done by uh, by Josh, who wasn't, who still isn't me. Um, no, neither no, was no. nor is me. Well, um, no, I mean he, you are nice and lively. He's more dead weight, so <laughs> there's a pretty big difference there. But no, so Josh will find it funny. There's a, uh, I will let Josh explain this to you. But there is an inside joke with this podcast with Soda Kings. Uh, so, um, so yeah, he can explain all that to you, uh, and the lawsuit that'll be pending. Um, it'll be great. (laughs) (laughs) No, let him explain that to you though. Uh, but the listeners of the show are very familiar with, uh, with the idea of Soda King. So, um, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So is there anything else you want to plug while you're on for your stuff, friend stuff, whatever? Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you, uh, like hearing my monotone voice drone on and on, then you can listen to the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast. Isn't that that's a great plug, right? No, yeah. but yes, it is. In real life, um, we it's um, within people who are inside uh, in the Guild of Game Designers of North Carolina. We have just a rotating pool of, of different people from the group, and what what we do in that podcast is we explore uh, things that we've learned through the design of games and we try to keep it um, right. relevant to the actual uh, practice and uh, and kind of craftsmanship of what you know how do you make better games is kind of our, our angle and right. so that and, must uh, be interesting because yeah, we, we have a rotating do, cast of people we don't stick to that for sure here so <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have a rotating cast of people i'm currently the host i've been those for the past uh, i don't know 12 episodes or so um older older episodes have different hosts but um but yeah but we try to keep uh interesting topics and uh and approach them in a way where it's really getting at the practice of making games better so yeah if that sounds interesting then it probably is interesting and you you can give it a listen that's it's a good group of people game, you have there so yeah yeah the game designers of north carolina podcast we we had to have a lot of discussions about what it should be called but we decided the descriptive approach was um what we did well that is what's on the jerseys so yeah (laughs) um awesome well hey mark i really appreciate you being on the show this was a lot of fun um even if josh mills was the one who vouched for you uh i was (laughs) i i had to trust that you were uh helpful uh, and you did a great this was great this was a lot of fun so yeah um, i had a lot of fun too for what is good if if my opinion matters then there you go. You can have well, it. Well, it does because it was positive. So I'm all about it. Um, <laughs> as we always say on the show, you know, if you want to, if you want to give us a five star review, please, please do that. If you want to give us less than a five star review, hey, keep your opinions to yourself. Why do you got to force those on everyone? So, um, yeah. But no. So I'm gonna do this little inch spiel here. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can find us at buildingthegamepodcast.com. Uh, you can email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can call us at 770-TELL-BTG. You can get us on Twitter at PodcastBTG. I am at J.E. Slingerland. Mark is... At mmark 40 and uh, you can also uh, find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. I'm sure other places I've not heard of. 
Uh, but thank you for listening and good night. See ya. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770 Hotel BGG. Please don't use the email. <laughs>